0: Shalom and welcome to the ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem and our senior spokesman. And uh, over recent weeks here on our weekly webinar, we've been having uh, a lot of discussions on foreign uh, affairs, current affairs here in Israel, the visit of President Biden, the Iranian threat, the Abraham Accords, several things like this. But this week, we're going back to a good, solid Bible teaching. And uh, our teacher today is none other than Dr. Jürgen Bueller, the president of the Christian Embassy, who's coming to us uh, from Germany right now. Hi, Jürgen.
1: Hi, David. It's good to be with
0: you all. Yes. Now, before uh, we get started here, I just want to tell everyone who may be over on, say, the Facebook Live uh, platform or uh, on YouTube, our YouTube channel watching, if you need interpretation, we have Chinese, French, Portuguese, Spanish, and Thai over on the Zoom platform. You'll have to go in and join us uh, on, in that webinar session on Zoom but uh we just appreciate having everyone with us this week god bless you as uh We look into the word of God about uh, Romans 11. Jürgen's going to be talking about the olive tree of Romans 11, certain lessons we can learn from it. And I tell you, Jürgen, uh, uh, you and I, we've heard many messages on Romans 11. We preach many messages on on Romans 11, but it never seems to keep uh, giving up its mysteries. And the chapter certainly ends, uh, Paul, in elation. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how in searchable his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. He's he's worshiping and really overwhelmed by some of the mysteries and, and uh, deep truths hidden in this chapter and hidden in chapters 9 through 11. So please, I know you've been uh, finding some new nuggets in there over recent weeks and months, and uh, tell us uh, what the Lord has shown you.
1: Well, thanks so much, David. And uh, yes, you're absolutely absolutely right that uh, the book of Romans uh, in itself is an amazing book that keeps... uh, showing up new revelations as you keep on studying the book and reading the book, you discover uh, new gems and new truths about it. And today we are going to look at Romans 11. It is the most recognized chapter in the Bible probably that is dealing uh, from a New New Testament perspective with the mystery of Israel or the truth of the Jewish people or with the question what us Israel, what does the Jewish people have to do with us as Gentile believers? And I would like to start reading uh, from the Word of God. If you have your Bible with you, I also recommend everyone on this call, if you have a notepad with you, if you have a, uh, a Bible with you, get it ready, make sure you have a pen to take some notes. We are going to quite Uh, a number of passages today, and I want to encourage you uh, to read them again at home at your leisure and be like the Berean Christians where it says they received the word of God with joy But they uh, checked everything, they tested everything, if it is really uh, biblical teaching. So I encourage you to take notes and uh, read yourself the passages that we are uh, engaging today. Um, I want you to open your Bible in Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to read quite a a lengthy passage out of that chapter. Let's start from verse 15, Romans 11, verse 15. And we are going to read... All the way to verse 27, Romans 11:15 to 27. For if they're and Paul is reading out here, speaking here about the Jewish people, if they're the Jewish people's rejection mean the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? <clears throat> if the dough offered as first fruit is holy. So also is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, then are also the branches. But if some of the branches will broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, will craft it in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant, but towards the branches." If you are if 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 you are remember it is not you who support the root but the root that supports you then you will say branches will broken off so that I might be grafted in that is true they will broken off because of their unbelief but you stand fast through faith so do not become proud but fear for if god did not spare the natural branches neither will he spare you Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for as God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be be grafted back into their olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And before we continue, let us have a short word of prayer. And Father, I do ask you that you make your word alive to us today. I ask you that you anoint my lips to share what is on your heart today. May it be an encouraging encouragement and blessing to all the listeners. And I do ask you that you anoint every ear today that is listening to your word, that they will understand what your spirit has to say to us in the powerful and in the mighty name of yeshua uh, we pray amen so welcome again to this uh, webinar we are going to speak about the olive tree lessons of the olive tree lessons from romans 11 and um the the starting point i want to make seven points today in this uh, in this webinar the starting point uh, that i want to make is the Parallelism or the symbolism that God, that Paul is applying here um, to the whole concept of Israel and the Gentile church. And uh, what Paul is using here is an Old Testament symbolism that God is using already since centuries before Paul in regard to the Jewish people, in that he is comparing the Jewish people with an olive tree. And if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open your Bibles in uh, Jeremiah chapter 11. In Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16, Jeremiah 11, verse 16, the prophet speaking here about in the name of God to the people of Israel. And he says, the Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed the lord once called you a green olive tree beautiful with good fruit but with the roar of a great tempest he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. The Hebrew word, by the way, that is used here for its branches will be consumed, can be actually better be translated, its branches will be broken off. But what I, the main point, what I want to make here in this first uh, point that I'm raising is that Paul is implying here a Old Testament symbol that is repeatedly used for the Jewish people. Israel, Jewish people, they are the olive tree of God. They are the planting of God, so to speak. Another passage you, you can find in Psalm 52 verse 8. Psalm 52 verse 8. Uh, this is a, a psalm where the writer, the psalmist, psalmist is saying, Psalmist is I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And the the writer of the psalm says, I am such a tree. I'm an olive tree in the presence of the Lord. And of course, we all are reminded in Zechariah chapter 4, where Zechariah is this amazing vision, uh, which I believe is a prophetic vision for the last days. And in this vision, he sees two olive trees. And uh, he's wondering what is going on, and he asks the Lord even twice, he says, what about those two olive trees? And the answer of the Lord is, it will not be by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, and what I believe, what it does represent, it's the People of God anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointed to ministry by God, called into ministry by God, and serving the purpose as God's uh, dispenser of His anointing of the presence of the Holy Spirit towards mankind. So the first point I wanted to raise is that this imagery of the olive tree, it's not an invention of Paul. It's not something that he came up with, but he was understanding the Jewish heroes and the Jewish listeners. They already knew that uh, uh, um, figurative language from the Old Testament. And we saw this in Jeremiah, uh, Psalm 52, but also in Zechariah, Chapter 4, a passage that I do uh, encourage you to read. Now, then he's uh, continuing with this whole imagery of the olive tree. And he's, uh, and this is my second point, he identifies the identities he defines the identities. Um, and number one, he says there are two types of olive trees. There is one, the noble or the cultivated olive tree. Uh, there's different translations for that. And then there is also the wild olive tree. Now we don't know very much today the wild olive tree, but the wild olive tree, it is a, a, a bush type, uh, you can almost say a weed. That is growing in the Middle East. You can find it also in Australia. And those wild olive uh, bushes, you could rather say they are not properly trees because they never have been really cultivated. Um, they produce also tiny fruit type things, but they are useless. They don't give oil. You can't consume them. It is really a shrubble uh, bush that is somewhere on the, way, on the path of the way that is taking away uh, place. It is a useless bush. And here, I have to uh, be very honest with you. We all are, most of us on this call, we are Gentiles. Um, that means we are non-Jewish from our origin. our parents are coming. I look here at the pot at the translation they might be coming from Portugal, from China, from Latin America, uh, from France or China or Thailand or Germany like my, myself and most of us won't have any Jewish roots. and Paul says in his understanding these are the people who represent the wild olive tree. And then there is the noble olive tree. We have seen this in the previous uh, point that uh, the Bible actually refers to Israel as this green, beautiful, cultivated olive tree that is bringing forth fruit for the glory of God. And um, you might you might think in myself, well, does this mean that the um, the Lord doesn't really see any benefit in the Gentile nations? And why does he use such a, you can almost say, a rude expression for us, the Gentiles, that you say, well, you are nothing more than just maybe this type of weed that is uh, uh, found at the wayside. It's not uh, good for anything. It doesn't produce fruit. And what Paul is doing here, he's continuing a theme that you find not only in the Romans, but also in other chapters. Um, he speaks about the calling of the Jewish people in quite powerful ways. And I want you to to listen to that and keep it, keeping in mind that he's speaking about now this cultivate this noble olive tree that he is uh, referring to here. In Romans chapter 9, uh, Paul speaks about his people, for I wish, Romans chapter 9, verse 3, that is in the, all the way down to verse 5, for I wish I for myself to be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And now he's defining them. He says that those kinsmen according to the flesh, remember, those who belong to the noble, to the cultivated olive tree, uh, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all blessed forever. Amen. Now, he puts uh, an amazing list of benefits to the Jewish people where he really says uh, and he he makes the statement already in Romans chapter three, verse one, where he asks, what is the benefit of being Jewish? He says, much in every way. To them were committed the oracles of God. And here he continues that list. Not only the oracles of God were given to them, the word of God, but to them it's uh, he says, them belong the adoption, that means the sonship, they can call themselves sons of God, to them belongs the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises, that means it was a people that had tremendous hope because of the promises that God gave to them, and he says to them is a legacy of generations after generations of men of God who walked with the Lord, he says to them belong the patriarchs, from their race according to the flesh, even his Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was Jewish, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And I don't think you need to be convinced much more that it definitely, you can say it's a tremendous blessing to belong to the Jewish people. The question is, so what about us Gentiles? And I want you to answer these questions. I want you to open Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Here Paul is writing to a Gentile church in Ephesus. It's an ancient, powerful city in the the Roman Empire. It was a harbor, a trade city. They had a huge amphitheater. I had the privilege to visit that many years ago. They could see up to 50,000 people in that amphitheater. And most of the people of that congregation, they were Gentiles. Now, Paul is now writing the following words to this Gentile church in Ephesus. Listen to that. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that means he really speaks about us Gentiles, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcisions, which is made by flesh by hand. He means that the circumcised people, the Jewish people, they called you the uncircumcised, and that was not a friendly word. This was quite a hostile expression. You remember David saying, referring to Goliath, he says, How does this uncircumcised Philistine dare to blaspheme against the armies of the Lord? You were called uncircumcised, and remember, he says. That you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the covenant of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and being without God in this world. And then, of course, he continues. He says, "But thanks be to God through the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near." But Paul says, "Remember, this is who you were once. Once were as as." so to speak, wild olive branches. He says, you have been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, what does he say about Israel? They are Israelites. They belong to the people of God. Um, uh, to them belong; to, they were strangers to the, the to the covenants, and that's what Paul says to the Jewish people. To them belong the covenants, and it's not just one covenant, many covenants: the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and even the New Covenant. Um, that we are under in the church. If you read Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, you will find out that this covenant, the new covenant, is given first and foremost to the Jewish people. So Paul says they have the right to own it. But we as Gentiles, we used to be outside those covenants. We were without hope and without God in this world. And I see you very clearly, I I hope you very clearly can see why Paul is calling us as the wild olive branches, as Gentiles, truly like this we that is without hope, without covenant, without hope for a life after that. But uh, in a way, people that were serving some kind of gods or demons in the worlds and in the countries where we came until the gospel of Jesus penetrated our countries. And uh, Paul makes this very powerful. He says, therefore, remember, he says, though later on, we will speak about it. Don't be arrogant. Remember where you come. Ephesians says, remember that once you have been those uh, wild olive branches, and we also understand because of that, this was not just Paul's understanding. This was also the understanding of uh, the Jewish people. There is even passages in the Talmud that they refer to the Gentiles as dogs because they say they don't really have a, a relationship to the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You see why the early Church struggled to include the Gentiles in the church. They thought, They thought... Well, why should those wild branches, those uncultivated, uh, unbelieving Gentiles being crafted into our noble, our cultivated olive tree. And it was a long discussion in the early church if they really should be accepted. But the Lord powerfully reigned in through that. And he says, definitely, my plan is also for the Gentile nations. So, the identities that are being defined is that the Bible really knows only two people. There are the Jewish people, They are this cultivated, this noble olive tree, the planting of the Lord, and then there are all the other nations, and these two groups exist in the world even until today, and it's by God's mercy, by his gospel, that we are being crafted in, into the household of God and become part of the promises and of the blessings and covenants of God that uh, uh, first and foremost were given to the Jewish people. Um, So we have seen it's an Old Testament tradition. There are two identities defined here in this passage. And then thirdly, Paul here speaks about a divine cultivation program. The third point is it's the divine cultivation program. Point one was the origin from the Old Testament. Point two, we identify the uh, the identities. We define the identities. And number third, three. Now we speak about the divine cultivation program. And what Paul is saying here, and it's this is quite interesting, um, let me read it from um, verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were crafted in among the others, and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree, uh, do not be arrogant. And I want to read again in verse 24, for if you will cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and craft it, contrary to nature, into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be crafted back into their own olive tree? Now, there are some very interesting um, things that the Bible uh, is telling us. Number one, it does tell us, and this is important to understand, that God says, I'm going to cut off some of the noble, some of the cultivated branches. And this is exactly the imagery that Jeremiah, we read this in 11, verse 16, uh, is using the word that is uh, being used there for consumed. You remember God says, I'm going to bring a fire upon this olive tree. And then he says, I will consume the branches. And this Hebrew word, the ra'ah, also can be mean, can be translated as being broken off uh, from the tree. So God is break, breaking off some of the noble branches And then he is crafting in wild olive branches. Now, the important thing that I want you to understand here and uh, what I really want to emphasize very strongly um, in this talk today is that this process of crafting in of wild olive branches into a cultivated tree, uh, Paul says here, you have been crafted in verse 24, contrary to nature. It means, Paul says, this process that God is actually doing by taking those wild branches and grafting them in into the noble olive tree, it is something absolutely unnatural. And uh, I'm not sure if some of the listeners who are out there, if you are involved with agricultures, maybe some of you might have a little orchard in your background with some backyard with some fruit trees. Um, I want to tell you a story. We had uh, where I was growing up in a, a city not far away from where I'm talking to you. The city was called Heidenheim. By the way, the me the word Heidenheim <laughs> I was born. If you translate it into English, it's the how the home of the Gentiles. Now, what uh, uh, what a um, an, an amazing name to grow up in the home of the Gentiles. And the, the our journey led us right to Jerusalem. Praise be to God. But I was growing up there in this uh, home of the Gentiles, Heidenheim, and in our backyard in our home, there was a an ancient old op- op- uh, apple tree that uh, didn't really look nice, and uh, the fruits that were coming forth from that tree from that tree, they were inconsumable. They were very sour tree, uh, apples. And uh, you couldn't even make proper shoes out of them. And uh, one day my mother told my father, he says, darling, let's cut off that tree because I don't think there's any good fruit coming from it. And my father replied, he says, no, I'm not going to cut that tree off, but I am going to call Uncle Albert from the city of Stuttgart and we ask him to come up to us. So my father called Uncle Albert And I remember I was a small boy, maybe seven, eight years old. Uncle Albert came, and the first thing what he did, he went with some pliers and some saws, a number of saws, into this old uh, apple tree that didn't bring any fruits and he radically cut off every t- every branch from that tree and he cut it off and he uh, I was amazed to see that I thought oh my gosh this tree is never going to survive that and he left just one or two original branches as a leftover on this stem and then he went back to the car and he opened the trunk and he came back with bundles of other branches that he brought with him from Stuttgart. And my father was telling me that Uncle Albert, he has a big orchard of very delicious apples down in the area of Stuttgart. And he's going to graft in some of those good apples onto our tree. Uh, The apple that we were all eating and liked at that time, I'm not sure if you have them in your countries, they were called Boskop apples. And he was crafting those apples on this old, didn't look nice, a stem, a remnant of a tree. And I was really marveling. I thought this will never work. But amazingly enough, two years later, on those new branches, we had delicious Bosco apples growing up. And I'm not sure if you realized what I'm talking here. That what Uncle Albert did in our garden is exactly the opposite of what God is doing here with the olive tree. We had in our garden um, a useless tree that didn't bring any fruits and the, um, the, the fruits were sour and unusable. And my uncle came from Stuttgart and brought noble branches and crafted them on the tree. And we got the, 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 the fruits of those noble branches. And the Bible here says, and that's why Paul says, what God is doing, it's contrary to nature. Nobody would do that. He says, God is taking this noble cultivated tree, cutting off the good branches and he's replacing them with wild branches. And let me tell you, I was even talking the other day here in German, Germany in a farming community, and uh, some of the people there, they were raising their hands that they actually had apple yards, and they confirmed everything what I'm telling you. They say, you are absolutely right. You never take bad, pra- bad branches and put them on a good tree. You always do it the other, the other way around. And what God is doing, he has this good, noble, cultivated tree, and he's taking us as wild olive branches, and he's crafting them on, on this tree. And now the amazing thing, what is taking place, Paul is saying, he says, the miracle is taking place, that being crafted into this good, in this good tree, which normally in nature never would happen But the transforming power of this oil, this sap that is coming through the tree, the power of the Holy Spirit is transforming those wild olive branches and allows us as non-Jewish people to enjoy the blessings, the covenants, the promises, the hopes of God that he originally intended for the Jewish people. But they have become now ours and he enabled us to bring forth Fruit for the kingdom of God. And if I could hear you today, I wish you would say a big and shout, a big hallelujah, because this is indeed incredible grace that God took us as people. How Paul says, Ephesians 2:11 again, a people without hope, and he crafted us in against nature and the olive tree of Israel, and we became partakers of the blessings of God. And Paul says, remember, this is done contrary to nature. And he says, therefore, don't be arrogant, don't boast against the noble branches. So that's the first point, which is really important for us to understand that what took place is against nature. And then what also is very important is that, you know, sometimes people today think that, uh, you know, there are two trees. There is the tree of Israel, there's the tree of the church. And for them in their, in their mind, it was almost like God was planting a new tree back then when he started the church. But what the Bible is telling us here that not that there is that not that there are two uh, two trees, but He says there was one tree out of which certain branches were broken off, and then wild branches have been uh, crafted upon it. And verse 17, it says, it's quite important to understand, is Romans 11 verse 17. Although we were wild olive shoots we were crafted in among the others and we now share in the nourishing root. That means, he says, he didn't start something new, but we as Gentiles, we have been crafted in among the others, he says. Verse, uh, verse 17. We have been among the others. That means we are joining in the fellowship of the Jewish people. And honestly, I believe this self-understanding, this self-awareness is gone almost completely from the church that they understand themselves as joining the Jewish people, as being crafted in among the Jewish people. But we conceive today this olive tree of the church as a pure Gentile thing. And yes, they are the Jewish people, but it's something completely Completely different. Paul says, you have been crafted in among them. And then he says, and now we share. And this word share that is that he is using here is the word suk koinonos. Suk koinonos. Some of you might know the Greek word koinonia. And the Greek word koinonia is all well, we know it. It's the word fellowship. Uh, the koinonia of the saints. The koinonia with the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with the saints. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And uh and he, he uses the word there suk koinonia, the the the, uh, the the pre-syllable suk actually means together with. So if you translate suk koinonia, suk together with koinonia, fellowship. We are joining an already existing fellowship. That means the church didn't start something new, but us being crafted in. We already, we joined an already existing fellowship of people that are going back all the way to Abraham. And that's important for our self-awareness and our self-understanding that the church is not this separate tree and this uh, uh, different tree that is growing on a different field, maybe even, But he says, we are crafted in among the others and uh, in order that we have fellowship. And then if you go down even further to verse 24, he says, one day God is going to craft them back in into their own tree, into their own tree, Paul says. That means uh, this tree, this olive tree is not our Gentile church. He says, actually, if it belongs to somebody, it belongs to the Jewish people. And that's why Paul in the book of Romans is very clear. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's powerful salvation to the Jew first. Why? Because uh, to them are the covenants, to them it belongs, but also through the grace of God, to us Gentiles. And that's very important for us to understand that it's done against nature, and that we are joining in into a fellowship. And the last point I wanted to make here in in this context of this crafting in process is not that we uh, completely replace all the branches, but he says here in verse 17, some of the branches were cut off. And it's important for us to understand, and I was writing about that even in our last magazine, there always existed a remnant of believer among the Jewish people throughout history that believed in Yeshua as their Messiah. So that means in every time in every generation there were always people from the Jewish people that remained their original branches that remained there um, on the street that belongs to them. So we have seen there was a a divine cultivation process. The Bible calls this cultivation process also the time of the Gentiles, where God is going to, to do this unnatural thing in a way, to take the Gentile nations, craft them in into the covenants and promises and hope of the Jewish people in order that they become part of the family of God. And the, the third point that I would like to make, the fourth point, excuse me, that I would like to make here is uh, that uh, Paul is now in this context and what we all shared right now is giving a very severe warning to the church. The fourth point is that Paul is warning the church. And now well, let me read to you uh, verses 18 to 20. Uh, now if you, he speaks to the wild branches, have been crafted in verse 18. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Well, branches will broken off that uh, broken off that I might be crafted in. That is true. They will broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. I continue actually reading verse 22. Now then see the kindness and the severity of God's Severity towards those who are fallen, but God's kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And, um, and he says here now, do not become proud but fear. And honestly, when we look look in church history over the last 17, 1800 years, maybe 1600 years, this probably was the biggest single mistake of the church of the last centuries, that the church consistently, repeatedly, century after century, got arrogant, Against the natural branches, got arrogant, ag- arrogant against the Jewish people. And the language that Paul actually is putting out there is it's a very strong language. He says, Be careful, he says, Th- Think about that. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. God is not sparing. The natural branches and he's doing something contrary to nature that nobody would do but in his grace and mercy he's crafting in those wild olive branches. Uh, you know if you would do this today as a farmer what God was doing if you would have this olive branch farm in Israel and somebody would watch you how you are taking those wild branches on the tree they would say this is crazy and they might make fun of you but God did it it wasn't a shame to put us on those tree and God says but remember it is the tree that is carrying you therefore do not be proud against the Jewish people and um, if you look at history you know it's exactly the opposite that took place there were centuries of pogroms against the Jewish people where Jews have been evicted again and again from many cities all across Europe Uh, You had the Crusades that uh, uh, brought for the first time real violence against the Jewish people all across Europe. It started in Germany at that time, but all the way through Turkey and the way to the Holy Land, tens of thousands of Jews have been killed. The only reason they said, you are Christ killers, Uh, you are a cursed people of God, they might have said. Even like here, they were broken off, and the church sinned against the Jewish people, and... The, French, the Spanish Inquisition in 1492, and of course, I'm coming to you here in Germany just some 77 years ago, 80 years ago. Here in Germany, If I'm talking to you, the church was silent and sometimes even collaborated when Adolf Hitler murdered brutally more than 6 million Jews all across Europe. It means over centuries, the church sinned against the apple of God's eye. And um, this is a very stern warning. You know what what God is telling the church here, and this is quite, uh, um, I can't put a strong enough emphasis how serious that is. He's actually saying twice, he says, if you are not watchful, if you don't care, God actually might break you off also. If he didn't spare the natural branches, he will definitely not spare the wild branches, God says. That's not me saying. That's what we find here in the world of God. And uh, and then, he, you know, what, what Paul is indicating to us here, he says, you know, if you are dealing with, and if you are dealing against the natural branches, it says you are actually sinning against the very root of your faith. And here is also a very simple lesson from agriculture, says if you are a farmer, one of the most important parts of any tree that you have is the root system. If the root is sick, the entire tree is sick. And Paul says, if you are sinning against the original branches, you are touching the root of that tree. That means you are cutting yourself off from the supply, from the blessing of God's blessing in your life. And I thought about that. And I wondered why we had so many waves of revival that started gloriously, but it took maybe some, take, just a few decades until this revival was flowing out and we needed new revivals and new moves of God repeatedly and uh, repeatedly because they were constantly coming to an end, and I wonder to myself, and I don't have an answer yet, but I wonder, could it be that this tree that saw so many revivals, that saw so many outpourings, but consistently was sinning against the root, that this was maybe one of the main reasons why the church needed to be renewed again and again and again, because they were consistently sinning against the root that they was carrying them. And also, what I, what I, the last comment I want to make on this point is that it's actually not just about theology. You know, sometimes people say, well, uh, my pastor or this church, they don't understand the Israel theology. It's not just about theology and about recognizing this verses of the Bible like this or that. But it's all about actually, it's actually an essential, life essential question that God says, be careful how you deal with the natural branches. And he says, if you don't do it in the right way, you might be cut off. And I don't want to make any further comments on that. But Paul is using very serious language here, warning the church, warning us believers that we need to be rightly connected with the roots of our faith, that we need to be rightly connected with the Jewish people. So there is a very strong warning in that passage, which I believe uh, um, is also sometimes ignored even by friends of Israel, that we have to be careful how we deal with that roots. Uh, Very shortly, uh, the fifth point I would like to raise today is that this current, this current uh, situation, this uh, situation which is lasting now almost uh, 1800 years, 1900 years, meaning the situation that God was cutting off natural branches in order to craft in wild branches. It is a temporal state. It's not an internal state. That's what Paul again and again highlights in in Romans again and again. Is God finished with the Jewish people? Definitely not. He's denying this several times. And the reason is that this current situation is only a situation for the time being. I want to read verse 25, and it says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, as again this warning against arrogance, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel, or you could say part of the branches will cut off. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the time the, the, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. That means when Paul is using this word until it seems that there is a, it's obvious that there is a temporal limitation to that period. There is only a certain time when those branches are cut off and you can say they are laid aside, they are waited to be crafted back in again, and it's only a temporal time. He says, and it's happening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You have the very same language again in Luke chapter 21. This is uh, uh, Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse, the end-time preaching of Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And he says here in verse 21, I'm going to read from verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And then let those who are in Judea flee from the mountains and let those who are inside in the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter back in for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alice for the woman and the pregnant in those times. It's the wrath against my people, God says in verse 23. Verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led into captivity among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trembled underfoot by the Gentiles. Now again, the same word, until the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, he'll say, Jerusalem, he says, watch the city of Jerusalem, it will be surrounded by armies, we have seen this in the Roman Empire, in the time 1770, uh, Titus was surrounding Jerusalem, was destroying the temple, God said, Jesus said, leave the city, get out of here, the early church did exactly that. And then he says, there will come a time from then on, where Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentile nations. And if you look at the history of Jerusalem over the last 17, 1800 years, this was exactly the situation there. Uh, Jerusalem was not anymore under Jewish control, but latest from the year 135, there was first the Roman, the Byzantine oppression of the city of Jerusalem. Then came uh, uh, the Arab invasion uh, through uh, the the Arabs uh, from Arabia, and then we uh, from the Muslims from Arabia, and then we had uh, the Crusades that came from Europe, occupied the land. And you had a short period of the Mamelukes, these were freed slaves con- that uh, that that uh, control the city of Jerusalem. Then you had the Ottoman Empire that was lasting for four hundred years there, and then it was lastly controlled by the British, and since 1967. This is a day that you need to mark in your calendar, 1967, Jerusalem was for the first time under complete Jewish control again. Jerusalem had a mayor, had a a Jewish uh, town hall, and Jerusalem was handed back to the people of God, to the people of Israel. And God says... Jerusalem will be trembled down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles have come in. Here in Romans 11, Paul says a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I can't give you the exact uh, uh, definition of that, but it seems to me that there is some kind of measure or number in heavens about the Gentiles that will come into the kingdom of God. How many, or I'm not sure how God is defining that, wild branches will be crafted in. And if God feels this unnatural crafting process has come to an end, God says, then God is going to change also for the Jewish people. And that means it's important for us to see that uh, it is a temporal period. You can also look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 11, and the following, uh, you can find the same principle there. Now, the last two points I want to suggest to you, and I hope, David, I might go a little bit over time here today, but the last two points that I want to bring here is that God is going to put the original, the noble, the cultivated branches. He's going to put them back on their own tree, and you read this here in verse twenty-three, verse and twenty-four. Even when they they do, even they, the Jewish people, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them in again. For so if you will cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and craft it, contrary to nature, into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be crafted back in into their own tree? And that means God says, or Paul says, he says, God number one, he has the power to do it. Verse 23. God has the power to bring those branches back. Now, some people today say, they keep telling me, oh, it is uh, such a difficult thing to work in Israel, and uh, I'm not sure if there will be any time, at any time, a revival. Honestly, humanly speaking, they all might be right, but God, in His omnipotence, He has the power to do according to his will. And there will come a time, Paul says here, that God is going to take those natural branches. It will be a sovereign move of God, but he will bring them back into their own tree. God has the power to do it. Nothing is impossible to him, he says. And then he says, think about it. As a matter of fact, Paul says, it will be much easier to do that. He says, if if he already succeeded with the wild olive trees, he says, think about it. How much more? That means it will be much easier to bring those branches back into their own olive tree. And let me tell you, you know, if you live here in Israel and if you see me sometimes in Messianic congregations, it's amazing the level of revelation that is coming when Jewish people are coming to the faith in Messiah. You learn so much from them, something that you might have never discussed, but they come with their knowledge of the sap, of the nourishing sap that for centuries was characterizing this, this, uh, this tree. And they're going to bring new and fresh re- revelation to us. And he says, God is definitely to do this. And I said this before, they will be brought back into their own tree. It's not the church where they will be crafted in. But God says, I'm going to give them back ownership of where they belonged from the very first place. And I want to suggest to you if this is going to take place, if God is bringing those natural branches back in into their, the, the tree, things will change also in the church. And that's my very last, uh, uh, that, this is my very last point. And uh, we will speak about that in a minute. But uh, the level of this backcrafting of the original, of the natural branches into this tree, how many of them will it do it? Paul says here, this very famous world, world in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel shall be saved. It means it's not just for a remnant like it is today for a small power, but God says all Israel shall be saved. And then, very important, He says He's He says and He's quoting now the prophet Isaiah: the Deliverer shall come from Zion; He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And then He says, and this will be my covenant with them. That means if you ever doubted the salvation of the Jewish people, don't do it because God covenanted this very fact with the Jewish people, says their national redemption, all Israel shall be saved, is a part and parcel of the very covenant that God made with the Jewish people. So never doubt that. God said that's part of my covenant with Israel that one day all of them shall be saved. Now the last point that I want to uh, raise to you is that the uh, scope and the magnitude when this is going to happen, when God is going to bring back those original branches back to the tree, um, this is going to bring forth one of the most dynamic changes, I believe, in the kingdom of God and into the church since the time of the book of Acts. I want you to read uh, two verses from chapter 11. One of them I have been reading. I'm starting with that. But let's go back even to verse 11, uh, verse 12. Paul says in Romans 11, verse 12, now if they're trespassed, that means again, you know, them being cut off from their tree means the riches of the world. And if their failure means the riches for the Gentile. You know, he's just speaking about that. He says, you know, he was cutting off those trees, those noble uh, branches in order that the wild branches, the Gentiles can be crafted in. He says, if their trespass, if their failure means the riches for the Gentiles. Now, listen very carefully. He says, how much more will their fullness or their inclusion mean? That means Paul is arguing with us. He says, Think logically. If they are falling away, already released such a blessing for the whole world. We see this today in this call. We are joined together from so many different countries because of this unnatural crafting process. Paul makes the point, he says, how much more is God going to release blessing, how much God is releasing blessings for the whole world, for the whole nations, when this is going to take place? Secondly, verse 15, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Paul says if those branches will be crafted back in, if they will be accepted again by in their own olive tree, in this tree of blessing of covenants. Uh, he says, if this is going to take place, he says, this will lead, I like to call it a nuclear explosion of resurrection life. Now, there is in throughout church history, there are many different explanations what this could mean. They say, this mean the final uh, resurrection of uh, the dead or the, the 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 coming to life of the dead and the day when Jesus comes back. John Wesley said, this will mean a global revival like we have never seen it. Charles Burton said, actually all of that can be true. Uh, It includes all the possibilities, but it will release a tremendous blessing for the whole world. And uh, in Acts chapter three, and I want to conclude with this here, Acts chapter three, um, this is now not Paul speaking, but this is Peter speaking. And it's important for us to understand where he makes the statement and who is the audience. Peter is standing here in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, The audience that is listening to him is a purely Israeli Jewish audience because for a simple reason, Gentiles at that time were not allowed into the temple. As a matter of fact, they were never allowed into the temple. And here, therefore, in verse 12, Peter is addressing the audience. He says, men of Israel, listen to me. That means this is a message that is directed to the people of Israel. And then he goes on. It's a very amazing message, David. Maybe one day we should do a separate uh, webinar on that. Uh, he was putting the finger to his own brethren. He was a Jew himself. Says you have killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And uh, but he says then in verse 70, but I know brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You remember the very last words of Jesus when he was hanging at the cross. He says, "Father, forgive them; they don't know what they are doing. They do it in ignorance." And um, and and then he says in verse 19, "Therefore repent and turn back, that your sins might be blotted out." Remember, he's in Jerusalem in the temple, and he speaks to his brethren, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, "Turn back, that your sins might be blotted out." And then he says. If you do this, the following program, heavenly program will be unleashed over this world. Turn back that your sins might be blotted out in order that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. That means also Peter understood if the Jewish people would repent back to the law, a time of refreshment from the presence of the Lord will be released. Secondly, he says that he may send Jesus Christ back to this world, appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things." And what Paul is saying here said, what Peter is saying here that Jesus needed to be retained in heaven until a particular time. It will be the time he says of the restoration of all things. And I want to suggest to you that what he is speaking here is that. Peter foresaw this one day when all Israel will repent, or like Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. And like Paul, he has the understanding, if those branches will be crafted back in, there will be a a, a release of a heavenly uh, blessing coming upon the whole world. It will be the time of the restoration of all things. And then the climax will be that Jesus will come back to this world. And this is so important for us to understand that even jesus himself when he was standing on the mount of olives remember he was weeping over the city of jerusalem and he says oh jerusalem would you have recognized the time of your visitation the time of your grace but now jerusalem will be left desolate that means god said i'm going to break off some of those branches i will craft in the wild olive branches and he says, and you won't see me again. That means I will not come back again to that city, Jesus said. Until you say, Baruch haba until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, it took me quite some time to understand why Israel needed to say, or Jerusalem needed to say this, strange world, Baruch HaBad Hashem Adonai, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, we normally don't say this in our liturgies, very often in our churches, and why did Jesus particular this sentence to come from the Jewish people? And it dawned to me when I moved to Israel 26, 27 years ago, the professor where I studied, he invited us to his home and he opened the door for for an evening dinner. And Vesna and I, we we went to the professor and uh, he opened the door and he says, Jürgen and Vesna, Baruchim Habaim, Baruch Haba, blessed is he who comes. So that's a strange greeting. Why does he say that? Maybe he knows that we are believers and A few weeks later, somebody else was inviting us to their home and they opened the door, the very same scenery. Baruch blessed is he who comes. Now, if you drive up to Jerusalem, if you have uh, ever visited Jerusalem and uh, come up from the airport in uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the very last curve at the road before you enter into the city of Jerusalem, there is written with white gigantic letter. Baruchim Habaim Le Blessed are those who come to Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you, there is no religious meaning in that, when you come to Jerusalem, that the male wants to give a blessing to them. But Baruch Haba, that's the way how in Israel we say, you are most welcome. You are blessed to come here. And what Jesus was saying on the Mount of Olives, he says, I'm not coming back. You won't see me again. Until this nation will welcome me back as their Messiah, and this is exactly what Paul is what is Paul is referring. He says, "Think about it. Once they will be crafted back in into their into their into their original tree. Once they will be able to say Baruch He says, "The most exciting thing in history will take place. God is going to bring back His Messiah. It will be the time of the restoration of all things, and that's why." Blessing Israel, working on behalf of Israel, standing with her, even in their unbelief, it's one of the greatest privilege, privileges you can imagine. We are part of one of the most exciting salvation programs in history. It will transform the world, it will transform our blessing and most of our planet, and most importantly, it will bring Jesus back to this world. And therefore, Paul said, remember says it's an incredible privilege to be part of that tree. Therefore, honor the roots, honor the original branches, be somebody who blesses them back, and be a people that is waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And that's what I wanted to share with you. David, back to you.
0: Thank you, Jürgen. So many very good insights. I know uh Jesus says, a good sage takes a little old out and and, and and a little new out of the cupboard and so some really good new insights uh, throughout Jurgen, a lot for the people to consider. I know uh, Jesus when he said this Baruch Baba Shimon and he's quoting from Psalm 118, Just a couple verses before is the verse about the stone that the builders rejected, and it means they finally accept him, and it's quite uh, an important and and powerful verse. Very, very good stuff, Juergen. I think this, you know, some have a question from Romans 11, you know, well, it's possible the Jews might get grafted back in, and God has the power to do it. But he actually, Paul comes to this realization that he actually has a covenant promise to do it. It's a sworn covenant promise. It's not, there's no doubt about it. And this is why he he starts out his teaching in Romans 9, in despair, I give my own salvation that some would get saved. And he ends it in elation, glorifying the wisdom and power and ways of God that he realizes in the end. God's going to do this. And it's a wonderful truth for us today. Uh, I think uh, you've really helped uh, people understand it in a lot deeper way. And I, I, for me, this whole message, and especially the warning to the Gentile churches, you you laid emphasis on it, but, I, you know, cut off means cut off. And uh, you're talking about like uh, the people before the flood. The Bible speaks to them. God says, I'm not going to, he promises, no, I'm not going to cut off people again by water. It means they got cut off. Their their descendants are no longer here. Um, But, you know, those words uh, written in the first century based on his prophetic understanding, they're powerful and, and very relevant today, but how much more so once we see the... Physical restoration of Israel and the first fruits of their spiritual restoration. This grafting back in with the Messianic body. If if you're a Christian or a church and you still persist in in hatred towards the Jews, uh, rejection of them, uh, I don't think God has as much grace anymore. Mm -hmm. And we see entire churches lapsing into where they're accepting gender bending and worshiping earth gods and stuff mother earth and and just going off into apostasy and god is allowing this so very powerful stuff we really appreciate it Jürgen.
1: well thank you so much david and and you know this term cutting off paul uses that even in romans 9 in the beginning he says i'm actually voluntarily i would like to be cut I'm off it cut says off. I am willing to take my place of being cut off. If by that, I could save my people. Yeah. And, uh, and it's quite a serious world indeed.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, uh, please tell your your friends, your family to, uh, you can find this on our Facebook channel uh, afterwards. It's, it'll be up on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page. This week's uh, ICJ weekly webinar, Jürgen teaching about the... Uh, Olive tree of Romans 11. You can share the link with them. Let others uh, get a you know benefit from this teaching. And uh, next week, we'll be back here on Thursday at 4 p.m. Israel time once again for another ICEJ weekly webinar. We're going to have an update on Aliyah, uh, what's happening. It's already been a a really banner year, record year in the number of Jews uh, coming, making, uh, uh, immigrating to Israel. And, but there's also certain troubles brewing, uh, especially in Russia, trying to shut down the Jewish Agency. And so, Nicole Yoder, our uh, Vice President for Aid and Aliyah, will be here to uh, give us an update. And uh, our, our fellow Vice President uh, Barry Dennison will also come with a little teaching on Aliyah that he wants to share with us. So next week's uh, webinar will feature Nicole and Barry here talking about uh, Aliyah. Next Wednesday, 4 p.m. Israel time, we have the Global Prayer Gathering again. Please join us for that. And of course, we have to mention the Feast of Tabernacles. going. maybe you want to say something about the feast real quick. We're getting excited about it. Uh, one of the people that is coming is this Chief Justice of South Africa, uh, former Chief Justice who was really uh, ridiculed for standing with Israel on biblical grounds. He's going to be with us. Andrew Bunsen, who was in uh, Turkey Uh, in prison we've got some really uh, new and excellent speakers this year yeah no, you are
1: absolutely right Uh, you know normally um, i always say come to the feast because the bible just simply commands us to go to jerusalem to celebrate and worship the lord uh, at the feast of tabernacles and and by the way you know what i want to add to that i was preaching here just a few weeks ago in Germany, and some of the farmers in that community, I mentioned them, it was a farming community, they said, you know, when I, when we heard you speaking about a feast, we actually might consider going there, because over the last few years here in Germany, there was a severe lack of rain, many of the forests are actually dying out, and are being uh, uh, severely damaged by that. And Zechariah says, you know, those people who don't come to the feast, there will be no rain, or let me put this in positive terms. I believe God is blessing, uh, guaranteeing and, and promising a blessing for those nations who do come to the Feast of Tabernacles. And they said, we might consider coming because we need rain in Germany. And we saw that, David, you remember with the Egyptian delegation. Yes. They came, the floodgates of heaven were literally opened over the city yeah. of Cairo. And um, and I believe also, you know, it's releasing a blessing for our nation, a spiritual blessing. And I want to encourage everybody just for that reason to come. But coming back to the speakers, it is indeed... Uh, and I think one of the best arrays of speakers I remember for a long time, very powerful man of God, Lou Ingle, he will come with a fresh uh, prophetic word. He shared it with us uh, when he was recently here in Jerusalem. Uh, for the next generation, it's something that is super important for especially the youth around the world Andrew Brunson, who was uh, for almost three years in prison in Turkey, he will come with a message that is not only relevant for the suffering church, but I believe it's a prophetic message for the church, that might enter into difficult times, and what he experienced there, and how he experienced the presence of the Lord, and especially to hear the testimony of his endurance during those times. I believe this will be very important for us to hear it. We will be joined by one of the most powerful leaders from the, the Pacific Islands, uh, Pastor Manase Kolowusu. He will be sharing with us Uh, We have Jeremiah Johnson, one of the uh, prophetic voices in America coming to Jerusalem and many others that you will meet there. I I think Sergei Svetlovsky is one of the leading uh, prayer leaders of the whole Russian world. He comes, he says, I have a, a burden and a prophetic word for the conference. I believe it will be an amazing time. You don't want to miss it to be in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles this year.
0: Yeah. it'll be interesting to see Andrew Brunson with our delegation from Turkey for our first time. We're going to have a whole delegation from Turkey. That'll be wonderful to have them fellowship and hug. And I'm looking forward to that moment. And some Egyptians again, a much bigger delegation this time. And we're just uh, inviting you to come to the feast October 9th through 16th. And uh, you can join us through the full uh, feast package tour. It covers uh, everything you need for eight or nine days here in the land, Uh, or just uh, enter the feast in person. And if you can't make it, you can join us online. You can go to feast.icej.org to find out more about those three options, feast.icej.org. Join us in October for the Feast of Tabernacles. God bless you, Jürgen. God bless you, everyone who uh, tuned in this week and viewing here on our ICJ weekly webinar. Shalom from Jerusalem. Shalom, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next Thursday at 4 p.m. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media pages for more exclusive ICJ content.